1: And welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy Day. Hey, sir. Happy 100. Happy 100. 100 episodes of the
0: Alouette's Flight Deck podcast. My God. I, I I'm, I'm excited. I didn't think we'd get this far, to be honest with you.
1: Ah, I had faith. <laughs> I had faith. This is not your normal episode of of the Alouette's flight deck this week. Because we've reached the century mark, we wanted to make sure that we brought you something special. So we are going to be speaking with Hall of Famer Ben Cahoon. No, no, no. It's Ben Cahoon. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, And you'll be listening to that in the next couple of minutes. Um, We talk about everything about his Alouette's career. It is, I can honestly say, it is one of the most anticipated interviews that we have ever done. Uh, And we were lucky to get it, and we hope you guys love it. Uh, But what Cliff and I wanted to do first, real quick, is talk about, uh, you know, talk about 100. Um, I mean, it started, uh, if you go back, and actually, it's funny, if you go, it's what I did earlier this week, by the way, Cliff, and I told you about that, and you're you're giving me those, uh, uh, the emoji eyes, those double emoji big eyes, uh, because, yes, I actually went back to listen to the entire thing. Um, It started way back in uh, 2016, June of 2016, where it was an idea that Cliff had come up with. Uh, I think we've been talking about it for almost a year, if I'm not mistaken, a little bit over a year. Um, It's just a matter of getting everything nailed down, how, when we were going to do it, what type of format we were going to take, et cetera, uh, where we were going to host it. Um, And uh, Flight Deck, I would hope to this day, uh, you know, uh, you know four seasons in would be uh the the place to go for when it comes to uh uh for uh for alouette's news interviews etc uh in a in podcast form but you know whether you be uh, uh an anglophone uh or uh a francophone here in quebec or whether or across the country um it is something that's a, a labor of love uh I'm, I'm sure our significant others have uh have cursed under their breath many a time when they do become that football widow, right, Cliff? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to give uh, props to them also for for uh, for putting up with our with our uh, uh, with our fandom of the of the CFL and the Alouettes.
0: Without question, and as you said, this is definitely a labor of love. It's something that we've we've gone back and forth with so many times as to how we want to present it to the fans, how we, how we want it to be presented, as far as how the league goes too, because. The Canadian Football League has really t- they've really given a lot of attention and a lot of love to all of the football podcasts like as as members of the Canadian Football Podcast network, all nine teams are represented. And for us, it was crucial that the Alouettes got representation because when we started the the flight deck, there was at the time not every team was represented. and there's a few teams that were represented, but, there was, no, there was nothing for Montreal. There was nothing for the Montreal Alouettes. And we decided, okay, we've got to be that voice. We want to be the ones that let everybody throughout Canada and the rest of the world essentially know what's going on as far as things here in Montreal for the Alouettes. And, you know, that's something we strive to do week in and week out. Uh, sometimes I think we nail it. Sometimes maybe we don't quite nail it. Uh, I, I can't say every episode has been fantastic. but
1: So uh, no, I'm sure if, it's we, definitely, if we could count how many times that I've got um, – uh uh it, it probably would set a world record
0: <laughs> yeah
1: not to mention uh the
0: the the language with the lunatic uh oh, yeah. We've yeah.
1: best we, we, that was one of the best inventions ever
0: <laughs> yeah it, it sometimes you just you, you got a curse and you know we try to keep it clean try to we're, we're hoping that you know families are downloading this episode, these episodes and enjoying them, like what age you are as a football fan, you know, we, we hope you're listening and we hope you appreciate everything that we do for, for you guys. Cause that's what, that's what it comes down to is we do this for the fans. We, we are fans and we do it for the fans because yeah. we want Montreal Alouettes fans to be represented on a worldwide stage. And that's the beauty of this podcast is it does allow us to present how we feel about the Alouettes, whether it's good, bad or other and it's something that we we do take a lot of pride in, and we, uh, I mean, we definitely have a good following, and we definitely appreciate each and every one of you that downloads the show and shares it and listens to it, follows us on Twitter, Facebook, what have you. We definitely appreciate everything that you guys do for us, and we sincerely hope that you appreciate uh, the efforts that we put out uh, almost every single week. Mm-hmm. Yep,
1: yep, that's that's true. So, um, obviously, uh, you know. Uh, 100. We hope to be for, here for hundreds more, um, but I can honestly say I think the best way to, to, to continue this quick intro, Cliff, is to say without further ado, let's, let's speak with CFL Hall of Famer and Montreal Alouette's alum, Ben Cahoon. And to help us celebrate our centennial uh, episode of, of the podcast this week uh, is a former Alouette that you should know. There are many ways that you would know of him. Um, I guess the best way to say it is that if you uh, if you ever chanted Cahoon, you know exactly who we're talking with. CFL Hall of Famer, Ben Cahoon. Hey, thanks for joining us, Ben.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Congrats on 100 shows. That's amazing. Oh. You kind of... Uh, that was quite a hint on the Cahoon part there. Yeah. <laughs> they, couldn't get it, they couldn't get it with that hint. No,
1: no. Hey, I, exactly, yeah. exactly. Hey, one thing we, we first, first thing we wanted to ask you about is uh, I'm I, we imagined you're still following the Alouettes and how they're doing from afar. Um, what, what was your, your thought on, on uh, hearing that the Alouettes finally were able to get over that hump this past week versus Calgary and were able to make the playoffs for the first time in almost five years?
2: Incredible. Yeah, I have been following from a distance, um, but it's so nice to see it turn things around, and have got some momentum heading into October, November, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's a funny game, fine line between winning and losing, and you you put a couple decent games together and get some wins, it's contagious, and as is losing, unfortunately, but um, it's nice to see that these guys who Believed in themselves, have finally, you know, had some luck on their sides and been able to to win some big games and and got a got a decent respectable record and a chance heading into the playoffs.
1: Do, do you feel that you were when when you were with Team? You, I mean, the Alouettes, to you know, they were such a dominant team when you were with them for your entire career. Um, obviously the the playoffs, and then the, the obviously the greatest goal is to get to the Great Cup, but. Um seeing what the Alouette fans have gone through the past 5 years it's, do you look back and you say that that man you, you really are, are are happy with with the players and the, and that the team that you had during that time during your career
2: Oh that we were very fortunate um to, to have guys like Tracy Ham and Mike Pringle you know who had as much confidence as anybody and but we really didn't win the championship with those guys and it took a coach like Don Matthews, who was as, as they came and it just exuded confidence. And we knew with him because he was going to pull some or a fake field goal or fake punt. Um, he was, he was amazing. And I think that really made a huge difference even after he was there, just because we had a, a, a core of guys intact from the Matthews years um, he's just a phenomenal coach or a phenomenal football coach and um, we knew we could win any game uh, because of
0: the Don factor mm-hmm. now compare the Don factor if you will to working under Mark Tressman. Uh, you won two great cups with uh, Mark Tressman at the helm uh, can you give us sort of a comparison of that coaching style versus uh, Don Matthews coaching style
2: Oh, that's a great question, and it's it's really contrasting um, approaches. Matthews was just kind of fly by the seat of his pants, and and he just had all this knowledge that he would pull out, and we would make adjustments in the locker room right before the game, and a lot of coaches have this philosophy that you don't install or teach anything new after, you know, day three, which is two days before the game. Um, So Don didn't follow that philosophy at all. But Matt, uh, and then Trestman came in calm, intellectual, very organized and um, deliberate, and then, but but so detail oriented that um, he just took what Don, the foundation that Don built, and, and uh, you know took it to another level, mostly with uh, the offense and you know the passing game.
1: Okay. Well, we obviously, for for those, anybody who happens to need a, a refresher about your career, I don't know why they would. I mean, if they, they know who you are, they, they know what you did during your career. But uh, you were drafted in uh, 1998, then the first round, uh, the sixth overall pick of, of the Alouettes. And you did actually, you played uh, your very first in your rookie year in the, in the CFL. um one question we wanted to ask, for those of you who don't know, you never, you didn't have 86 for your entire career with the Alouettes. Um, how is it that you ended up with your the, the, your the first number that you had and then when you ended up getting uh, 86 for, you know, the number that we happen to remember the, most these days?
2: <laughs> well, they just gave it to me. That's the number they gave it to me, you know, first day of training camp. And I, I was a rookie, and I took it and didn't question it. And wore it all year, and at the end of the year, I went to the equipment manager and said, hey, do you think I could change numbers next year? And he said, well, you requested 32. I said, I didn't. I would never request 32. It was like some old school last last available number, you know, especially for a receiver. But he thought I had requested it because on some form I'd filled out, I used to live in an apartment 32, and and either he got the, the lines mixed up and and uh, or I got the lines mixed up. But – apartment 32 became jersey number 32 instead of 86 but he was nice enough to change uh for the second year but that's a little trivia question that uh um not not a lot of people you gotta be pretty devoted fan to
1: remember that what what was the well what was the the significance of number 86 now that we're talking about it
2: i wore 86 in college so i just it was just kind of my number and um i think I wore number seven. I loved number seven in junior college, but that was being used by Tracy Gravely, I think, at the time. So um, after after my rookie year, just asked to get number eighty
1: six. Okay. Yeah, because I think they, I think Cliff, if I'm not mistaken, there's 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 some video of you on YouTube somewhere, Ben, of you in your old you know your original number, and people who don't follow the Athletics that well will be like, well, wait a minute. He didn't wear eighty six his entire career. And We're like, nope, no, he didn't. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's the story. Yep, exactly. It's kind. Of, it's funny. You said you like seven too. It's kind of like you know John Bowman, which I want to ask you mm-hmm. about too. Um, you know, he didn't always wear number seven with the Alouettes, and it's it's funny that you mentioned number seven. But uh, um, what was your what was your thought coming coming out of college out out of BYU and playing in the CFL? Had you heard from about the CFL before Ben, or is it? Um, something that really had never been on your radar before you th- you heard, found out that you were drafted?
2: Oh, I, sure, i had heard about it, but didn't know much about it. My family moved from Canada when I was eight years old, so most of my formative years were in the States. Uh, but I definitely knew about the CFL, and um, I had, after my college career at BYU, I, I got a tryout with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, short-lived, and um, was drafted, by Jim Pop and the Alouettes. And uh, I really thought, you know, I'd just go up and play a year or two. And I'd been accepted to physical therapy school. So I deferred that for a year, I thought. And uh, it just turned into one year after another,
0: 13 years. It's impressive. And uh, coming into, like, being drafted as a national player, or I guess at the time it was, uh, was it non-import? I forget how they phrased it back then, but... was it always kind of weird knowing like even though yes you did spend a little bit of time in Canada like you still were considered a Canadian citizen as far as the uh, as the CFL draft goes
2: <laughs> oh that's been kind of a sore spot for my whole life or full football career because I, I never really I was accepted as a non import or a Canadian even though I felt you know my parents both born and raised in Alberta my grandfather served in the the uh, my whole family heritage were Canadians, but, you know, I moved when I was eight years old to the States and, and played high school sports in the States. But I always felt like I was Canadian. And it was such a big part of my family that I, I kind of got a little sensitive when people referred to me, you know, talked about kind of beating the system or not being a real Canadian. That offended me. I knew it offended my grandfather who, you know, served in World War II. Uh-huh.
1: I'm sure, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny, it's, you know, we we knew you use a Canadian, and you, we can only gather so much information, Ben, from what, what you can read online and on Wikipedia and stuff like that, so it, it's got actually cool to get some context uh, on...
2: Yeah, you know, I, sorry to interrupt you, I, I actually lived in Beaconsfield when I was uh, seven years old. My dad taught at Concordia University for a year and a half, so um, my family was from Alberta, but I actually lived in the Montreal area as a child, so when I got drafted to Montreal, it was like a coming-home uh, deal for us. It was cool.
0: That's cool. That, that really See is it, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a homecoming. As far as I'm concerned, Ben, that's a
1: homecoming.
2: <laughs> Count it. Yeah, I, I went and knocked on Guy LaFleur's door as a child, got his autograph. So I, I still remember that.
1: Oh, oh you, you have to tell us about this, Ben. How, how, <laughs> how, how, did, how did that come about? What was your reaction, and what was his reaction?
2: Well, it's been a long time ago, but my buddy at the time knew where Gila Fleur lived and having to be, you know, two or three blocks from our house. So we walked on down, knocked on the door and he was gracious enough to sign whatever we had at the time, some papers and it was nice. And, and, uh, I don't remember too many details about it other than it was a successful venture out of, out of our neighborhood. Wow. That's, that's cool.
1: That's that. I think it's, uh, you know, they usually say that when it comes to, and uh, I, I, I think Cliff, you'll agree with me. You know, you know, Montrealers and stuff like that. When it comes, to – if you're famous or something like that, you know, we, you know, like movie stars and stuff like that, will tend to, will tend to leave you alone and let you do, go about your business. But you're a hockey fan. You have that chance to get that hockey, <laughs> that that signature, especially of a of a legend like him. Uh, everything's off the table. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all he wanted is his doorbell being rung. You know four in the afternoon or something but he was cool did,
0: did you ever go trick-or-treating at his house
2: i don't
3: remember that <laughs>
2: we would have been we would have been smart if we had done that. go to the big houses get the, get the full candy bars exactly <laughs> <laughs>
1: that oh i love that i love that um there's God, there's so many different th- thing you we know, have things to ask you and talk about about your career ben um i i, I I mean, we look at today's players, especially the ones like, you know, wide receivers that go, you know, in slot backs that 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 go into the middle. And 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 obviously you are you're about you're in the same size as me, you know, about five, eight. Um, what was it like? Because you were known for basically going into the middle and being fearless when it came to getting those getting those catches, uh, getting your nickname of Velcro hands, et cetera, et cetera. What, what was it like? Did you have any fear when a, a, a play was called and you had to know that you were going into the middle to try to catch the ball?
2: No, you know what? As a receiver, you work so hard to get five chances at balls. You know, in a game, that my it was my attitude. You can't be picky.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You just want your number called. And um, and there's so much going on, and it just takes so much focus to to be able to make a catch. That that I had that I had a little bit of focus, and I wasn't scared, wasn't worried about getting hit. I knew I was going to get hit anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I wasn't picky. I didn't care where where the route sent me, where the the actual play sent me. I just wanted the ball. So maybe that kind of trumped everything. Just throw me the ball, and then you know it was my job to try to make something happen once that occurred. But there had to be a few times. T- you know, interesting story that I I started my when I was back in those videos you're talking about. Playing in jersey number 32, I was playing on the outside as the Z receiver for my first two years. And then Don Matthews came to me right, break up week, right as he was being announced as a new coach. He said, hey, we want to move you inside to the slot to try to get you closer to the ball. And I had tried that in practice at times, playing scout team, and it was not successful. So it was an offseason full of stress for me because I was I knew. You know, there's bigger bodies in there. It's much more physical. You got to navigate a lot more, a lot more. You know, of the defense. Um, Matthews, he was awesome. He was. He said, "Hey, if it doesn't work out, we'll move you back at Z." It's just not. You're not going to lose your job over this experiment. But he just thought he just had a vision that could get me closer to the ball. So, I I was nervous at that point, especially in the offseason, just thinking it was going to be kind of a failed experiment going into the slot and trying to. Get around those linebackers, but whatever reason, you know, with a little time, it worked out and figured out how to how to get around those. Actually, use my use the waggle and the motion behind the line of scrimmage to try to get myself open uh, more than anything, more than the actual route itself, but try to set up the route in the backfield and try to manipulate those linebackers so they couldn't get those big
0: hits on me. Now, who of all the hits you've taken, and Lord knows you've certainly taken your fair share of hits, who's hit you the hardest? <laughs> who's the one that's hit you and said, "Dang, that one, oh, I felt that one. <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna give anybody the satisfaction of knowing somebody <laughs> might listen to this.
2: Sometime. I'm not gonna let let less what, what was it, Wes Lysup? I'm not gonna let him have a smirk on his face thinking he hit me. I don't even I don't even remember any of his hits. Or Gerald Bond, or Orlando Steinauer? No, I, uh, I don't know. That's a tough question. All I know <laughs> is about every season at the end of the year, they have TSN highlights about and they have the greatest hits. I was in about three of them every single year. So
1: that's probably not a good sign when you're getting blown up. So, so that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for those who may not remember. um, You know, besides your your playing career, when you uh, back in uh, 2018, you actually did some color commentating for TSN 690. You came to BC. Um, what Cliff and I wanted to know is uh, because obviously we were uh, watching the game pop most likely on television at the time, but um, what was it like uh, being a color commentator for the first time and uh, uh, would you want to do it again?
2: wow, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I was completely I was completely embarrassed after the game because I felt like I just flubbed it up. but um, but I, strangely it was it was enjoyable. So um I was just too ill prepared. It was just I was just kind of last minute sub. and um, you know, I wish I would have boned up on a lot of the players and their backgrounds and watched more film and so forth. but um, but I, I really didn't feel good about it at the time, but it was fun. And uh, you know, if I had a if I had a chance to do it again, I think I'd do a little bit better job.
1: I'm sure though, to having Rick Moffitt sitting next to you, I'm sure he was able to feed you quite a bit of stuff. So I'm sure, I'm guessing, once the game, you know, got you got farther into the game, that he uh, he he made you feel uh, welcome and at ease. I would hope.
2: Oh, absolutely! Rick's awesome, and he he did his best with with uh, yeah, just somebody. I'm not naturally real talkative, but I wish I would have just been. Uh, a little more conversational and just talk ball, you know, been a little, not been afraid to to express my opinion and call people out a little bit. But anyway, you live and learn. Yeah. It was, it was a fun experience and I loved it.
1: Now, talking about experiences here and uh, things during your, your career and stuff like that. Uh, when it comes to, this might be, that might've been it, but do you have any regrets? I mean, is there anything that you wanted to do during your, your career, but you were never able to do so?
2: More dances, more end zone dances. That's that's the one thing that stands out. No, I, hey, I still we lost a lot of big games, and we won three great Cups, and we had kind of a, maybe as close to a dynasty in the league, you know, over you know ten or fifteen years as as you can get. But we would we should have beat BC in two thousand, and should have beat Edmonton a couple times, and and uh, you know there are just regrets with. As far as you know, not coming up, coming out a little bit flat during some big games. Okay. But other than that, other than that, I had a dream career and played with some amazing guys who are lifelong friends. And I look back at my time in Montreal and get nothing but a, you know, a smile on my face and my it warms my heart when I think about it. It was it was just special all around.
1: Well, I know Cliff and I were able to. We can say that it was obviously it was a pleasure watching you play because it's you. You showed what uh, what it is to be uh, what what it was to be a typical not a typical player but to be a a special player within the league itself. And I hope anybody who watched you play with Montreal uh, knew that they were watching something special. So it was it, it was it was a pleasure to be in the stands to watch you play, Ben.
2: <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, that means a lot. And I figured my job was just to go out and try to earn my money and play as hard as I could. And, um, fortunately for me, I was surrounded by awesome quarterback, great offensive line that helped Anthony and, um, you know, had some chemistry and had some coaches that called my number and, uh, you know, and I stayed healthy. So all those things added up to a pretty special career. And, um, it's a lot of just good fortune.
0: Now let's let's talk about your three Grey Cup championships. Of the three that you've won, which one would you say is the sweetest victory? The one that's that really stands out immediately.
2: Mm. Well, I just rewatched the 2009 Grey Cup, so that's freshest in my mind. But the first the first win, 2002, um, the the ticker tape parade down St. Catherine's will remain one of the most just the coolest experiences of my life that was just unreal. It was like a dream. Um, so that was just amazing to bring the cup back to Montreal for the first time, in I don't know, 20 years or so. And have the city just, um, embrace us like that was, it was, it was magical, but all of them were special though. (laughs) Doesn't get much more dramatic than the 2009 great cup with the 13th man. And we're fighting and clawing from behind and take a step forward. And then, shoot ourselves in the foot and you know um but
0: finally after the time expires we come out with the championship i mean that's just it's unreal now you were holding for david damon duvall for the uh, for both kicks essentially that uh, the 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 first kick obviously goes wide and uh, then the second one obviously is the game winner uh one thing that damon i remember seeing in an interview once talk about was uh he knew there was thirteen guys. Like, was there anything that you guys like? Did you both know that in advance, or what? T- I'm calling talk, BS that. on that.
2: I'm calling BS right now. <laughs> and okay. if if he knew there were thirteen guys, then that explains why he shanked the kick because he was counting guys when he should have been focused on the field goal where the goalposts were. But and, and, and nobody's counting guys. That's ridiculous. That's where, that's the job of the ref.
0: <laughs> so, Same it's if you're, you're it, listening call me <laughs> <laughs> but like that's not your responsibility either though to check that there was 13 guys or or 12 or yeah, you know well now that you bring that up my job is to count
2: our guys mm-hmm. and make sure we've got i i'm only seeing 10 guys because it's me i don't have to count myself and Damon, i know damon's back there so mm-hmm. i gotta make sure there's 10 guys in front of me so before every pat and field goal i did that but heavens we don't have enough
0: time to count the other guys <laughs> oh boy we're, we're learning something new
2: here
3: I know, I you. <laughs> controversy
0: <laughs> wow okay I think, uh,
2: he, I think i think from some of the stuff i've read from damon i think he kicked as he was watching the ball fly off wide right he might have seen some flags go up so he's putting two and two together and, and thinking oh it might must be must be too many guys on the field but that's the first i've ever heard i've, been, I've been in a lot of football games playing and coaching and that's the first time i've ever heard of anybody counting the opponents <laughs> <play. Man.
0: laughs> wow what, what i am speechless yeah yeah what's
1: it what's it like uh celebrating a great uh, ben because obviously you've had you you've had your you've you've celebrated your fair share but uh, what's it like uh, whether it be the 13th man game or whether it be you're uh, being a back-to-back or What's it like celebrating a Grey Cup championship as a player?
2: You know, I'm probably the worst person to ask that question to because I don't even drink. Mm. So, well, I can remember. So, maybe that's, that's a look on the bright side. But um, it's just the culmination of a ton more work than anybody can even comprehend unless you've played you know, high level competitive sports. It's hours and hours a day. Of training in the weight room all year long. It's nursing, at, you know, just nagging injuries for months at a time. It's treatment, it's therapy, it's film work, and it's just blood, sweat, and tears with your teammates. And it's all for one goal to win a championship. And as we found out many times, it's an elusive deal, even in a small nine team league. It's hard to win a championship. So it's just. You just are able to exhale and smile and enjoy it for the first time, really not have to worry about another game next year or next week, and you just did it. So it's just time to let your hair down and relax and, and enjoy it with your boys and your family.
0: Now, one thing I'm never, ever going to forget, Ben, and I, I hope you don't hate me for this, but uh, that 2009 Grey Cup Parade, the moonwalk. You you, you got to take us through the moonwalk. What, what prompted that? <laughs> I have no... I have no recollection of this. (laughs) Details were fuzzy at the time, right? (laughs) No, really. I'm I'm being honest. I
2: really don't. Oh, really? I'm vaguely vaguely remembering that all the guys were trying to get me to do some backspin or breakdancing move or something. And that's all I had, I guess. I don't know.
0: I I was way too timid. As far as I'm concerned, you nailed it, man. That was pretty good. Okay. Okay.
2: Well, Thanks. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i know canadians typically don't have a whole lot of rhythm so i mean like that's the fact that you were able to pull that off it was nothing short of spectacular <laughs> was that on the stage yes
2: okay and was it like i'm sorry i i really don't remember too
0: much about that was that
2: uh was, I think it was I like just... doing a solo moonwalk or was it just off to the side and i was just doing my own thing or
0: what no i think it was just after you finished speaking to the crowd and uh I think just after everybody finished speaking to the crowd, everybody just started, you know, all the guys just started grooving around and everything like that. And then just all of a sudden it just came out almost out of natural. left field. Yeah. Just
2: natural. Yeah. Just feeling the moment, drop the mic and moonwalk away. Right. Exactly. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. hope nobody got that on film.
1: It's fine. I just did a search. It's so far. You're safe. So far. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: you're, currently, uh, you're currently safe. Right. Um, and and after the, the 2010 gray cup, uh, Again, you 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 were just won your third championship. Uh, at that point, did you know that you were done? Like, as far as you wanted to go out a winner, and if anyone deserves to do be able to go out on their own terms, it's definitely you. But at that point, did you know for sure that okay, I'm done. I'm calling it a career. I did. Yeah, I I had I knew
2: going into that season
0: that it was going to be my last. Um, told very few people.
2: Um, I think, and. Probably mid-season or something, I opened up to Jim Pop and maybe Anthony Calvillo and Anwar Stewart or something. But just very few people knew, but I did. And my my wife knew that that was it, and uh, and it was time. I I was you know, if I was four six forty when I entered the league, I was four nine forty by then, and just kind of felt like I was sitting duck out there, and um, felt like I could still get open a little bit, but after that, I was just you know taking a beating so just because I wasn't quick enough to get out of the way but so that's what made that special for me personally Um it was awesome victory for the team and um, just a great accomplishment for the team but I knew that I was stepping away you know in the very last game I was going to play it was going to be a victory and it was going to be a sweet memory for for the rest of my life so um again just real fortunate fortunate that we made a few more plays and, and came up when we needed to.
1: And plus, you're able to say you went out, out as a as a back-to-back champion too.
2: Yeah, crazy. It's awesome.
1: Now, um, Ben. So, I mean, you set so many CFO records as a player. Do they do they mean more now as a former player than when you were playing, or is it just the opposite?
2: You know, they, <laughs> at the at the risk of they. They I, they don't mean more now. They they really don't. They're nice to think about. Um, I still tease my wife and say I'm going to go uh, make a comeback and just catch four or five balls and get right out of bounds just so I can break Geroy Simon's record. But, <laughs> um, but that would be stupid. The um, they they did drive me though as a player. I was I was I mean not initially because there was you know. Kind of unreachable, each run, Sorry, unreachable for so many years. But then once you started getting close, you're like, holy cow, maybe, maybe I can hit this. So then it did drive me to to work hard in the off season and to practice hard and and uh, you know try to be prepared to do your best every week. So they probably mean more, meant more as a player than they do now.
1: You weren't the type of player though that would would uh scoreboard watch so to speak yourself during the season if you knew you were close to something were you or did you if it had if it came it came if it didn't it didn't well kind of both
2: (laughs) i mean i definitely i wasn't i wasn't obsessed with these records and i didn't want to i didn't want to um you know put myself above the team but it meant a big they they were important i was still trying to fight for a contract and justify my salary and Mm -hmm. you know try to um so those those became important in that regard, but um yeah it, it was it just i was, I'm competitive and if if there's a guy in the league that I think i'm better than then i'm I want to prove it with a number you know that's going that is going to justify it so right. um i've always kind of been a numbers guy, and i've always had a had a my one eye on on the stats and but it's more to do with just being trying to be your best and reach your potential than, than just you know being a, a me guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh,
0: when you did decide to call the career, uh, was there ever any talk with uh, Anthony about going out at the same time, or was it really just a matter of, I've done everything that I feel I can do, and it's time for me to move on, whether Anthony was ready to retire or not?
3: Yeah, no.
2: I mean, we, were good friends, still are, and, and roommates, and just almost everything together as, as teammates, but we never talked about that. That's just such a personal decision that's independent of any other uh, circumstances, you know, or any other individual. So he had to go out when he felt it was right. I I definitely felt like, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play at a level that I would be satisfied with. Um, So I knew it was time for me. Okay.
0: All right. And in your post uh, football career, uh, you went to, uh, Back to your alma mater and Brigham Young as the wide receivers coach on two different occasions. Uh, do you feel that you've accomplished everything that you did in those uh, two uh, two periods? No, heck, no. I um, both both
2: times, both stints, the offensive coordinator was really you let go, and therefore I was too. But I felt like we accomplished a lot. But no, i I'm still quite bitter about that, and and uh, it was it was a kind of my dream job and, um, you know, it didn't turn out the way I would have liked it to, but, um, still, still view that time as as a wonderful time in my life. And, and I learned a ton, but, um, yeah, it was, it's bittersweet. It's a, there's a saying that everybody loves football, but football loves no one. Mm-hmm. And I, I always, I heard that Mark Trestman used to say it all the time. And I, I had never experienced it myself because football was great for me. I'd never been cut and released and fired, you know. But now, after being at BYU, I know that that's true. <laughs> it's a brutal game, and the world of coaching Division One football, especially in the states, it's it's cutthroat, and there's no loyalty, and um, it's rough. So, yeah, I know I know the
1: meaning of that. Would you ever want to go now. back? Would you ever want to go back Ben or is is your coaching career in in your in the rearview mirror?
2: You know when you're in it you think this is your life and there's nothing outside of football but once you get out of it you realize you you can exhale and you can have a life you can you know you don't have to answer your phone at all hours of the night uh, answering phone calls from recruits and you don't have to travel all over all year long and it's not just the constant pressure of winning the next game. So, I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at right now, and I have no I have not pursued coaching um, at all the last couple of years.
0: So, if uh, a team in the CFL decided they wanted to have uh, a legendary wide receiver as one of their wide receivers coaches or offensive coordinators like that, you wouldn't take that call.
2: You know, I don't. I I know for a fact I'm not ready to be an offensive coordinator. Um, so that'll answer that part of it your question but i i don't think so you know um as much as i would love it and i feel like i could contribute but um yeah i don't i don't think it's in the cards right now i've got a pretty good gig right now um i'm able to travel to canada which i love pretty often i was just in toronto two or three weeks ago i'm going to come to montreal in november i think hopefully for a game and um and it's i'm i'm still able to see my kids and still able to you know have a have a normal life and the life of a football coach it's it's really other than the football part which is fun it's a tough life there's no escape and it's 24 7 and it you know wear you down
1: Mm -hmm. well you uh were uh inducted to the cfl hall of fame in 2014 you had your number retired with the Alawitz in 2016 i should know i was i was on the field for your for your uh for the ceremony that night Um, we both were yeah we We were with security Yeah, yeah 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 (laughs) <laughs> he broke through the lines. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Edit that. Out. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Uh, what was it like being inducted in, into into the into the CFL Hall of Fame?
2: It was amazing. It was just kind of like a dream. Um, I never expected that to happen, and um, it was just like the whole thing was just a dream come true. Trying to figure out a speech was just I just kept shaking my head thinking, what is what is this, you know? Um, and how do you sum up a thirteen a year career in three or four minutes of a speech. So but it 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 really was just a nice, amazing honor and it was an individual honor that it's hard to express this, but I realized no there's no way I'm getting to the Hall of Fame had it not been for you know, nine or 10 offensive linemen that were there for the bulk of my career, for the best playing with the best quarterback in the league and a ton of other great, like big time, great, deserving wide receivers. So I could roam, you know, nobody would double team, nobody, people, other teams would, they had a hard time just um, thinking that they needed any extra help guarding this little short white guy let alone double-teaming them, but they they didn't have the the luxury of double-teaming me because you had Kerry Watkins out there, or um, Jermaine Copeland, or Kwame Cavill, or Pat Woodcock. So, you know, I was just surrounded my whole career with awesome, awesome talent. Well,
1: I think it was also, I would imagine it was special, too, because that was the year that the, uh, I think it was one of the few years that the CFL decided to have the Hall of Fame game in their ceremony stuff outside of Hamilton and you got celebrated in your, basically what your, your second hometown in Montreal that year.
2: Yeah, that was sweet. That was sweet. My parents were up for that as were my in-laws and it was a great
1: week. So I have to ask though, um, you know, going through the whole process of having your, your bust done and stuff like that. Do you feel that they got your bust correct? (laughs) (laughs)
2: No. No. Um, I don't know. It's just I'm uncomfortable even looking at it. Oh, really? <laughs> it's not because it's not because they did a poor job with it, but it's just it's I, surreal. I, it's just a weird, yeah, it's a weird surreal phenomenon. But um, yeah, they they we took we had to take some pictures and then you know give the pictures to the sculpture, and um, it was quite we were quite anxious to see the reveal. And he did a great, he did a phenomenal job, but you're still like really my chin that big up it, you know, it's, it's 3D it's different than a picture so um, anyway it, it's I have not you know seen it in the hall at all but we just saw it on display when we were in Montreal that
1: week okay now, one thing we don't know, obviously, you, you get, I guess, a ring or something else to commemorate that. Did you, do they give you a mini bus that you can take home with yourself or a small bobblehead? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to request that. That's a great idea. I need to have that on my dashboard, don't I? On, my, on the dash of my car, walking around, driving around. Um, Absol-
0: absolutely. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, not there's not a bobblehead. John Bowman gets himself a bobblehead doll. I don't know how that happens. I, <laughs> I haven't seen, a, I haven't seen an Anthony Cavill bobblehead. Maybe I missed that. There is I one. There is think,
0: one actually. Okay.
3: Yep.
2: Okay. Well, now I know. Now it's clear, it's coming clear to me what's <laughs> going on here.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think we're gonna have to start a campaign for you, Ben. We got to get you a. We got to get you your bobblehead. There you go. <laughs> Especially, too, like you're coming to Montreal in, in November, which, uh, by the way, there is going to be a football game played in November. So okay. I think uh, I think we're going to, have to start pulling some strings for you, pal. Yeah,
2: let's do it. Let's get the campaign going. All right.
1: <laughs> so what's it what's it also like to know that uh, that you can say that you have your you had your number retired too? as I said, you had your number retired in Montreal a few years later. Um, same type of experiences as going to the Hall of Fame or is it just something that it's a different type of feels compared to going into the Hall of Fame?
2: You know, both of those, I mean, exactly. They're really similar feelings. It's just an immense, humbling honor. And just, you just kind of have to shake your head at it that it's even happening. But the most stressful part of that, I couldn't really enjoy either one of them because I, for whatever reason, I decided I wanted to try to speak some French in my speeches. And that was stressing me out so bad <laughs> that that overshadowed both, both of those events. And I'm ashamed to say that, but. I was so nervous that I was going to jack up the French and I did. It was horrible, but, um, as the fans typically did for me, always did for me, they gave me the benefit of the doubt. And I I got a few golf claps, I think out of, out of my attempt, but, um, yeah, that was, that was probably a poor decision on my part to even try the French because I was, it was, it was just really stressful for me, but,
0: well, Ben, as a, a as a bilingual Montrealer, I can tell you right now that it's never a bad idea to try. I mean, yeah. I know you're doubting yourself, but believe me, the fans in Montreal, they appreciate all of it. They know that you're, you're, it's not your first language or anything. Just the fact that you were willing to even try to attempt it, even just a bonjour or a merci, it goes so far. It goes so mm-hmm. far with these fans. And the fact that you were willing to try it definitely speaks volumes to not just you as a football player, but you as a person as well
2: no well thank you and I know it it means a lot and that's why I felt that I needed to do that um but man it sure I I just I wanted to I wanted to do the francophones francophones proud and and it was it was hard to try to try to prepare for that Charles Rook can can attest he had he was my translator and my coach so he can attest to how stressful I was okay
1: (laughs) Uh, uh it's, it's, you know, we, uh, out of everything you've done in your career, I mean, and you've had so many different moments, Ben. I mean, is there any particular moment that stands out the most for, in your career?
2: Um, you no, know, 75 just flashing through my mind right now, but those great cup parades, it's hard to top those. Um, there's the 2009 great cup halftime was really impactful we were struggling. We had, we knew we had a reputation of coming out flat in the big games. And we just played half of football where we came out flat in the big game. And we were all doubting ourselves, but Anwar Stewart stood up walked around and slapped everybody and, and gave everybody a pep talk and told us all that the defense was going to get the ball back for us. And then we we're going to go down and score. And, um, just kind of really broke this negative mental cycle that I think we were probably all, we were all just doubting everything, you know, at that point thinking, Oh no, here we go again. And, uh, you know, Anwar broke that cycle and sure enough, went out got the ball back for us and turned the momentum around and made a few plays. And next thing you know, you know, there's a ball game, but those types of things come more to the forefront to just the relationships and the, the, um, interpersonal um, deal that that they they mean a lot more than maybe a score or a trophy, but just the the relationships and everybody says that. But those those are definitely more meaningful as time goes on.
0: Now, here's a memory I, I want to discuss with you. Uh, talk to us about kicking a game-winning field goal at home.
2: Oh, that should have been my answer to the last question. <laughs> that was yeah, that was strangely enough. I don't know why I didn't think of that, but. Strangely enough, that is one of my most fond memories of 13 years, whatever, 200-whatever games, because it was just so bizarre. Only in the CFL can the emergency kicker have to kick a field goal, and it turns out to be a game winner. So that was my dream my whole life, to kick a field goal. I never lined up as a kicker before that kick, other than just screwing around at practice and um, played soccer my whole life. So, you know, I love to mess around in practice and, and kick field goals. And so to actually be called upon in the game to do it when it's all on the line was just crazy. I remember that the, the uh, we knew it was going to come down to this, and the coach asked me, um, I think it was Marcus Brady came up to me and said, hey, do you kick on a – oh, Marcus Brady became the holder. So not only was it the emergency kicker, I was the holder, so he was the emergency holder too. I was dealing with the second stringer. <laughs> you know, um, but Marcus came, comes up to me and goes, Hey, do you kick off a off the turf or do you kick off the little pad? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's try, <laughs> you know? Let's go try both into the net. So kicked a few, and I think we decided to go with the pad. Can't even remember that. But um, yeah, craziness. And it turns out like, no Prefontaine ends up missing another field goal, it would have tied it and it turns out to be a game winning field goal. Crazy.
0: Now, uh, it was a, I believe it was a 22 yard field goal. Do you think the distance would, do you think it would have made a difference as far as the, just your, your confidence in being able to make the kick or was it just a matter of go out and kick it and hope for the best?
2: Oh, it was good from at least 24 yards. (laughs) I got under it a little too much. I probably should not have used the, the pad, but, um, Got under it, didn't hit it square, but it went through. And uh, I, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think that this. If it would have been a thirty or thirty-five, you know, I think we could have got it done too. But luckily, it was just a chip shot.
1: And, and that we can say, Ben actually is online. So if anybody's wondering, it's it's, <laughs> from, it's from the 2007 game versus the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, it was a kick in overtime. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't just in the. uh it doesn't, wasn't in uh, in regulation. It was in overtime, and it was all set up because uh, Dave Staley was hurt, who was the normal uh, backup kicker, and uh, Damien Duval had gotten ejected earlier in the game. So, um, yeah. I, I guess all the uh, all the puzzle pieces fit into place that night.
3: Yeah,
2: I, I will go to my grave disputing whether Dave Staley ever beat me out as the. The official backup kicker. But, <laughs> I mean, somehow he just inherited that role without without much of a contest. But <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's just an injustice because I, I would have loved to have a fair contest and then named the official backup kicker. So so but even though even so Dave Sol is the backup kicker, did he ever kick any field goals?
0: No, he did not. Okay. That's crazy. So, so I, I think you you've you've won that just Purely by default, but you still won it. (laughs) There
3: you go, for sure. For sure.
1: Um, You know, we look at your your career, Ben, and you play on so many teams. Um, And this is, I I told Cliff this question before we we came on air, and he's like, you really want to ask that? I go, I got to ask this question. Um, Of all the Alouette teams that you played for, Ben, which would you say was the best you ever played for?
2: I don't know. That's hard. It's, I can't even separate them. I, the season all just blend together. But, um, I know we were what, 15 and three in
3: 2009.
2: Mm-hmm. Just, I think that was about probably the most dominant regular season that I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but that, that might be, I can't remember. I remember going 12 and six a, a bunch of times, but 15 and three was pretty dominant. That might, that might've been the most talented team we had. Um, so I'll i stick with that. I mean, you had Scott Flory, Jeff Parrott, Anthony, um, Anwar Bowman. It was just just loaded. Loaded with packs there. Um You yeah, know, I shouldn't have started mentioning them because forgot a ton, but just that team was top to bottom, really talented.
1: Um, what would you say? Wow, that's... Um... He's putting us on the spot, Ben. On uh, 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 Cliff. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the obvious answer obviously would be two thousand nine because, yes,
0: you're right. It was such a dominant team. I mean, to go fifteen and three, it was incredible. Just especially too, like that was Coach Dressman's second season, and he pretty much got himself caught up as far as uh, being a, a first time coach in the Canadian Football League and just the talent that was surrounding it. I mean, like it was like that team was just beyond talented. Like there was like I. I struggled to find any weak spots on that team. And yeah, I, I'd have to say like that without question, that was one of, if not the strongest Alouettes team I've seen in my, uh, 22 years of watching the, the Alouettes play football.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Jamel Richardson, Brian Bratton, um, Kerry Watkins gang, SJ green, just ballers.
1: What was it like playing on the turf at the Big O? Cuz I've talked to a few players who played there and and now that you have with the the the, the turf that they now have at uh, Percival Molson. What was it uh, what was it like playing on the turf at the Big O and what was it like playing at the turf over at uh, Percival Molson? Well, no, the Big O
2: was brutal. It was um just hard to play on that grass period. It just almost took the love out of game. Um, the footing was rough and you know for Part of my career was still astroturf, and that was just like sandpaper. Um, but they ended up getting some sort of field turf in there later on, and uh, but it was still just like seemed like it was placed right on top of the concrete, and um, it was it was rough to play on. But you were glad that it was the last month of the year, and you didn't have many games after that because you were sore for more days than you typically were mm-hmm. after playing on that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah when I first came into the league in 98 every team had astroturf except for Edmonton who had natural grass and um, thankfully most teams converted over to the field turf within a couple of years but um, I loved the turf at Molson Stadium um, especially the field turf and uh, felt just it was perfect I wore some cool soccer puma soccer cleats for most of my career and I felt like the the Putting that they gave me on that turf was perfect. I felt real confident, you know, getting in and out of breaks and and uh, running, and making cuts on that on that turf. It's probably changed by now.
1: Uh, um, it, it, yeah, it's I evolved it's a little changed, bit, like, yeah. Like three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got some DNA on the old stuff, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, I mean, Lisa, like said, you you've pretty much covered it all. Uh, I mean, we, we can't thank you enough for being a part of this, Uh, I guess what I kind of want to end things on a little bit is uh, you've had such a phenomenal career. I mean, I, we can talk, well, we have talked for quite a bit about it so far, but uh, what's the one thing you'd like to leave anyone that's listening to this podcast? Like what would you like to leave fans with as far as your overall take on being a Montreal Alouette?
2: Well, it was just a huge blessing. Uh, We didn't realize until, you know, we were a lot of the way through, our time there our, our years there, but I just have a ton of appreciation for the city, for the fans, for the organization, the wet halls, Jim pop and, and all the coaches. I think I had five different head coaches, um, 19. If you add Jim pop in there, 17 times, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but it was just the stars were aligned for me and our family. And for whatever reason, um, you know, people in Montreal decided to take a liking to this short little white kid, and, and um, I just felt like they embraced me and just wanted to go out there every day and, and uh, earn their applause. And it was just a wonderful kind of relationship. For me, it was, um, and it it just meant a ton, and it's, it's something that
0: continues to mean a lot to me in my life. Well, I can tell you, Ben, as... Again, I pretty much watched you in Montreal your entire career. Uh, I I think I speak for Tim also when I say this, is that watching you play on game day was an absolute treat. Watching you and Anthony just tear up the league, essentially, and bring home championships and just have the outstanding career that both of you had was just, it, it was such a privilege to be able to watch you in action on game day. And we can't thank you enough for everything you've done, not just for the Alouettes themselves, but for the city of Montreal. And believe me when I say it, and I still see a lot of 86 jerseys. Don't kid yourself. Even like the brand new jerseys that have come out, I've actually seen people get Cahoon 86 on them. Like, even though you've never worn this jersey, you still have so much love in this city that people are still putting your name and number on their back. I mean, the impact you've had on this city is, I, I can't begin to put into words what you would mean to the city of Montreal and to the Alouettes. So to be able to have the opportunity to sit and talk with you and just go over your career. Uh, It's, it's just an incredible privilege and we can't thank you enough for joining us on this 100th episode.
2: Hey, thank you so much. It gave me chills when you said that people are (laughs) still wearing the 86 jerseys. So um, I appreciate you saying that. And thanks for the time guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you and and reliving some great, great times.
0: And um, yeah, let me know if I can help out in any way. Wow. Just, what an experience. I mean, it's not every day that you get to talk to a GOAT, as in greatest of all time. And i tell you what, as far as Montreal Alouettes goes, that's one right there. That's Ben Cahoon, ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the flight deck. And we are so incredibly grateful and appreciative that Ben was able to spare some of his time just to sit and talk about football, talk about his career, everything. It's been What a treat. What a treat. And I sincerely hope you fans, whether new fans or old fans, you may not know who Ben Cahoon is, but if those that do, there's no explanation that's necessary. But those that are still new to the Alouettes experience, I hope you realize this this is when, when you talk about Alouettes football in the Canadian Football League to just about any fans, the name Ben Cahoon rings true for a lot of people. And just... Go check out his highlights on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, just find some old games to watch of his. Go, and go
1: watch the the, the uh, '09 and, and '10 Grey Cups. There you go. I mean,
0: like you talk about quintessential Ben Cahoon moments. Right there are two shining examples. Yeah. And uh, you know, once again, Ben, we thank you so much for joining us on this 100th episode. And uh, well, hopefully, we'll have you back on the flight deck again to share some more stories. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, as, as always. You're more than welcome to come back on the flight deck. Yeah.
1: And if you do want to follow Ben on social media, you can follow him on Twitter specifically uh, at Ben underscore Ben Cahoon. Yes, that, you heard me right. Ben underscore Ben Cahoon. And I think he said his uh, Instagram is Ben Cahoon86. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't uh, Hey, you, number 100, this, if it, we're doing this for number 100, what, what can we do for number 101?
0: well i mean uh i i I think the
1: alouettes played a game last week so maybe we can talk about that Uh, possibly possibly but hey stay tuned um we uh, greatly appreciate your time uh listening to the show each week and uh uh, we again we hope to see uh, we hope to have you around for hundreds more uh in in the near future so so for everybody here at the alouettes flight deck for cliffy d i'm tim capper cliff say it
0: We're on Final Approach.
3: Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Thanks for listening. Find
0: more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.